This is Mystic Takeaway, dishing up extraordinary real-life stories to inspire wonder and nourish the soul. I'm Elisa Graff. Today I'll share a personal story of my own with the help of my friend and former guest, Sabina Qureshi. Good to have you with us. Thank you, Sabina, so much for being on the show again. It's fun to be here. And this time, Sabina is going to be interviewing me. That's right. We're going to do a role reversal. You're going to be like the guest today. Yeah. I've thought about this for a while because actually I have this really amazing story to tell. This story that you're going to tell is wonderful. I mean, they're all wonderful. And you haven't done a podcast for a while. You've had a long break. And you wanted to tell us a little bit about that, right? Yeah, it wasn't something I planned to stop doing podcasting, but I took on a new job last year. And actually, it just got to the point where I realized I was just a bit overwhelmed with the time commitment. So in the end, I needed a little break from podcasting for a while. And I'm really happy to be back. I'm looking forward to sharing more amazing, nourishing tales with people. I've got a few other interviews lined up, so... My listeners can look forward to hearing more stories. Um, This is a long time ago, right? This is in 2004? Yes, almost 20 years ago. Almost 20 years ago. And so your children were young. Um, I think uh, Sebastian was 11 and your daughter was how old? Eight? She was eight, yeah. You were uh, traveling to Hawaii and you were going on this flight, and it was sponsored by the Make-A-Wish Foundation. Why were you on a flight sponsored by the Make-A-Wish Foundation? Well, my son actually had a blood disorder when he was 11. That was pretty serious. It's called aplastic anemia. Basically, it means that your, your bone marrow doesn't have any platelets left. It doesn't have blood cells. It's not producing blood cells. Does that mean you get sick all the time? or what? what well, you- of course, your immune system is completely reduced because the blood is the main, it's the main carrier for the immune cells. And so um, it all happened rather suddenly, but I want to back up a little bit because the story actually starts when he was about four years old. Sebastian was actually extremely healthy kid. Um, he, He never had any problems of any kind while growing up. He was very healthy. So there was actually no reason for me to have any concerns. At some point, when he was about four, I suddenly had this awareness. It wasn't even just a, it wasn't like an idea. It was actually like, I I believed deep down that this was true, that he was going to have a blood disorder. And I can't tell you why I knew that. I have had seemingly prophetic dreams in the past, but I couldn't figure out why. But it just came out of nowhere that I had this realization that he was going to have a blood disorder. Was this a dream or something that you would experienced while you were awake. Uh, it's what, something that just came to me somehow while I was awake. And I thought, I didn't want to believe it. Um, but I had this irrational, from my point of view, fear or knowing that this was going to happen. And so I was panicked. Did you did you actually know which blood disorder he was going to have or just no, I, No, I, in my mind, it was leukemia. That was kind of what I had in my mind. So I had all this anxiety about it. And it didn't seem like a rational thing to be thinking about all the time when I had this healthy kid. I felt like it was, for me, like the worst thing I could possibly imagine. 
it just really scared me. Well, of course, I think for any parent that would be. So one morning while I was still asleep, I had this really interesting dream. And in the dream, I was, my daughter was only a year old or so. And I, I was carrying her in my arms and on my hip, you know, and I was walking around this park. And the park was really weird because it was filled with empty swimming pools. What? That sounds very odd. <laughs> yeah. So they're like walking in between the swimming pools, looking around. Uh, there were people there. There was like a party going on. It seems a little weird to have these sort of dangerous, you know, nine foot swimming pools filled with not just empty. Right. You know? <laughs> yeah. Like, and we're walking, you know, people were standing in between these swimming pools. There was like maybe a walkway of like three or four feet between them. But they were, you know, it was all over the place. So it was it was more walkway um, than actually standing space, you know, anywhere. Um, oh, so I was looking around trying to figure out where my son was. I was looking for him in this place with all these people who were milling around and having a party of some kind, some event. And I walked up to this table. I saw my son sitting at a little garden table outside. It was actually a big table. It was probably about four feet across or something. And um, he was sitting with people I didn't know. Okay. And he turned around and saw me and he said, hi, mom. I noticed right away this woman standing across the table. She was standing at the other side of the table and she was wearing a green dress and she had reddish hair and green eyes, like curly red hair. And she looked at me and she said, you don't need to worry about him. He's going to be okay. Wow. Wow. <laughs> I was relieved, of course, but I wanted to know who this person was. The funny thing in the dream is that it was one of those weird dreams, like a lucid dream, where I, I was also aware that I was sort of in a dream. So I said to her, are you a nurse? And then immediately I thought to myself, that is so on PC. Am I asking that because she's a woman? You know, I was having this thought in my dream. And then I thought, I said, no, no, are you a doctor? And she said, yes, wow. I'm a doctor. I felt this desire to, to, to touch her hand. I, I reached my hand across to just touch her. Yeah. And then the whole dream disappeared. And I had this enormous wave of, of like a blessing energy come over me. Wow. It was so strong. I knew immediately, even in my waking, just waking state, I knew that I'd had a blessing from Maitreya. Oh, beautiful. It was incredible. It was such a beautiful blessing. It really did assuage my fears, you know, because I felt like, okay, this is a message for me. I need to, you know, put this to rest and not worry anymore about Sebastian. He's going to be fine. Yeah. And so how much time after you first sort of realized that he was going to have this blood disorder, did you have this dream? Like, how long was that? It was probably within a period of weeks. Oh, so very soon know? after. Yeah, really soon after, really soon after, because it was really preoccupying me. I was thinking about it a lot. Yeah. <laughs> it was like, but it's like hard to explain to people. It wasn't just like I'd read something about leukemia. It was like something deep down. Well, like a premonition. Some, a premonition. It was yeah. really like a premonition. And so, yeah, I basically forgot about everything. <laughs> well, how beautiful that that, you know, that that blessing was given to you and that the fear was taken away. Yeah. Yeah, it really made a huge difference. So, of course, I went on with life and, you know, kids and was very busy. And seven years went by. <laughs> and uh, when when all of this started, I was living in New York, upstate New York, and uh, with our my husband and kids. 
And then we moved around the time Sebastian was about nine. We moved across the country to California, where we were originally from. And we were living in the Bay Area. We were part of a co-housing community in Sonoma County. Actually, before we moved into our co-housing community, the houses were still in the process of being built. And we were living for the summer in our camping trailer on a friend's property, very close to my daughter's private Waldorf school. And we were very lucky because the woman who we were living with, this was my daughter's classmate's family, she was a doctor, so she was actually an MD. So we were living in our camping trailer that summer. Uh, I had forgotten completely about Sebastian and blood disorders and all of that. Seven years had gone by, and he was still very healthy, and I wasn't worried about him. Seven years is almost a biblical period of time, isn't it? Yeah, it really is. <laughs> a month before this started, early September, we had been at my daughter's school, and Sebastian actually got hit by a tire swing on his arm, which didn't bother him at all, but it left a tire mark in blood blister, wow. which is an indication, of course, that he had too few platelets, but I didn't recognize it as such. He would get banged up all the time because he's a boy and he was very active. Right. And so I, I just sort of thought, oh, wow, that's weird. I've never seen that before, but I didn't, I didn't really stop to worry about it. Right. That was an indication, of course. Anyway, I got sick with a small bug over the weekend, like a cold kind of thing, very mild symptoms. And then they went away. And I was actually working at that point for a friend who was a holistic dentist. So I went back to work. And, um, and then Sebastian got this little bug, but he didn't get over it. He was having a lot of trouble um, getting out of bed because he was feeling very dizzy and he wasn't feeling well. And so I started to get my, my anxiety went up and I started to worry about it a bit. And I thought there's something wrong. This isn't right. Something's wrong with him today. I don't know what's going on, but I called my friend whose property we lived on. And I said, I'm a little worried about Sebastian. And she said, why don't you come to my kitchen after you're back from work and we'll talk about it. So she decided to order blood work, uh, labs to be done for him. And his dad took him to the, uh, the lab the next day. And then the next morning at 6 a.m., we had a knock on the door of our camping trailer in the fog. Wow. <laughs> and um, it was our friend, the doctor, and she said, I've just gotten an emergency fax. So your son has really too few platelets. Um, normally, the way that it's measured is per cubic milliliter of blood. The, uh, the measurement is 150, which is 150,000 uh, platelets. Okay, so per 150. Cubic milliliter. Yeah, per cubic milliliter. And he had 10. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. I can't believe it. Yeah, so it was really kind of a shock. And she said, I, I need you to rouse him so that I can see that he's okay because he could have had a bleed in the night. If he'd had a bleed, and we wouldn't have seen it, an internal bleed, for example. Yeah. So we were told we needed to take him right away to the emergency room at the Santa Rosa Hospital. So we all got in the car quickly and we drove there. We took two cars because I thought, oh, this, everything's going to be fine. I'm going to go. I'm going to go to work <laughs> after oh, this. Yeah. And we got to the emergency room and waited for them to do more tests. And by the time we'd arrived, it was down to eight. <laughs> so they said they were already talking to Children's Hospital in Oakland about him and trying to get some ideas from the hematologists there. There's 12 pediatric hematologists at Children's Hospital Oakland. And so um, they decided he needed to be moved there right away. So they took him by ICU ambulance. It's only an hour away. And I went with him in the ambulance and his dad drove behind and our friends came and picked up our daughter. And so 
you know, that was uh, the beginning of our odyssey. We went down to Children's Hospital, and in the emergency room, they started running a lot of tests. He was feeling okay. He thought all this was kind of crazy, you know, in a way, because, yeah, he was feeling still sick, but and it was you a mean, little frightening, of course. Dizzy anymore or he was to still get feeling up? dizzy. He was still feeling dizzy. I uh-huh. mean, it was scary because for all of us, we had no idea what this meant. And so when you get to Children's Hospital, they then decide where you're going to go, what floor you're going to be on, what department you need to be in. And obviously with a blood disorder, in this case, it was the immunosuppressed ward. Mm-hmm. And so um, it was on the fifth floor. And whatever pediatric hematologist was on duty at the time that your child was it admitted became your sort of primary care hematologist in the hospital. Right. And so we ended up with this woman named Titi Singer, and she is from Israel. Mm-hmm. First, they did a biopsy and they discovered it was aplastic anemia. It wasn't leukemia because the first thing they assume is leukemia. It's the most common and okay. aplastic anemia is not as common. So they did a biopsy the next morning and said, no, it's, it's aplastic anemia. That first night, we were both allowed to stay my husband and I. So we were able to sleep in the hospital with him. After a few days, they told us, okay, it's time that one of you needs to stay and the other one has to go. So we did that. But we were spending a lot of time going down to the cafeteria to get bottled water (laughs) and to get things from the cafeteria. And I was carrying 10 little bottles of water. (laughs) And there was this man in a suit, an African man. He had an African accent too. So I know he wasn't African-American. He was actually from Africa. And he stopped me and he said, wow, that's a lot of water. You must be thirsty. <laughs> and I said, yeah, yeah, well, we're, we're hanging out upstairs in the immunosuppressed ward, so I'm just going to bring a lot of water up with me so we can drink. And he said, uh, oh, um, who's your kid? Oh, you know, what's, what's your son's name? And I said, Sebastian Graf. He said, oh, I'm going to be looking at his cells later today. And his name he was, was Humphrey. He was a doctor and his name was Humphrey and he was going to be the one to determine what was actually going on. It's kind of interesting that I met him. He was a really very nice man. And I felt like really like, okay, we're really in good hands here. Yeah. So then later they told us what it was and there were only a few options for how you treat this. So we were lucky there was actually treatment therapies, but the first one was a bone marrow transplant with a related donor. So we all were tested and it turned out none of us were a match. Only 25% siblings and 2% of parents are a match. Wow. And so the next option was immunosuppressive drug therapy. Okay. And so they have to take the T cells offline and in order for, because they're basically the theory is that the T cells are attacking the bone marrow because maybe a virus got into the bone marrow. And so, so the immune system itself was actually killing off the stem cells. So they basically learned this by, um, there's a drug called cyclosporin and it was, developed by a company in Switzerland called Sandoz. And cyclosporin uh, shuts off the T-cell function in the body. And then it was originally developed for people with organ donations, you know, so they didn't reject the transplant. Yeah. So it was discovered that it works really well with um, bone marrow transplants and for keeping people alive while the body's getting used to this. And some people have to take it forever. So basically, it was decided that, that Sebastian could go home for a while, but then he was going to come back to the hospital and they were going to start the treatment where he would have originally this sort of chemotherapeutic agent called ATG, which would be given to him intravenously in the hospital for four days. Okay. Like on the and then, Yeah. They came into his room, you know, completely decked out in protective gear. 
You know, you kind of wow. feel like hazmat suits almost. Because they have and to not give him an infection, right? No, no. It was because actually the ATG is so toxic. Oh. Yeah. Wow. And they put it straight into the vein, you know. So he had a port. Wow. And they, they put it straight into the circulatory system. So that was a little, you know, all of it was intense, you know. So you, you're just like, it's all very intense. I had been holding it all together. And this was a period of weeks that went by. And, and also while he was at home, you know, because his immune system was already suppressed, we had to be really careful. And he's, you know, he's a kid. He's an 11-year-old boy, right? So so how could you do that? I mean, what type of being well, careful we started, did that mean? We started with masks and things, but it really, it you devolved. Mean, all we of you would it. wear masks. He, he would wear, wear a mask. mask. He was supposed to wear a mask. And, and there, were, there were a lot of drugs he had to take. And then he also had to have blood transfusions every week, once a week. And, um, we had to go down to Oakland for those, and he'd spend the whole day and get a blood transfusion. And he loved it because he could play video games there, and they'd give him <laughs> pizza, and he thought it was great. Um, so it's he didn't care to about be a kid because you're not yeah. so concerned, right? No, and he got really used to needles because he was probed and poked all the time, and he right. needed to have blood labs every week, stat blood labs, you know, to find out what was going on. So he got really used to it, but. Um, you know, his, the blood that he got had to be irradiated blood because he had no wow. immune system. So all of it was very, very intense for me. I'm like the crunchy mom who, you know, breastfed and only fed organic food and didn't do So you were kinds. on tenterhooks all the time. It was definitely hard. I had forgotten about the dream. I didn't remember it until after we were done with all this. Well, you know, maybe, maybe the dream uh, was given to you so that you could forget. You know what I mean? To just yeah. live in the moment and not be, yeah. Maybe, maybe. I mean, you know, there was something deep, deep down in me that somehow believed and knew that he was going to be okay. But I had, I really struggled with all of it because I'm not really a mainstream medicine person. Oh, okay. So all Are of you it was you like. you really trust mainstream medicine? Or? I just. I think everything looks like, you know, you're getting hit by a sledgehammer, you know, it's like I was, I was into homeopathy, I was into right. alternative things, I took my kids to an anthroposophic MD for, you know, when they were young, I had a home birth with my daughter. I mean, it was just, this was like, I knew we had to do this. But I felt like I it was so against so many things that I, you know, we didn't have a choice. We really right. didn't have a choice. So you, so you felt like you were sort of on foreign ground or something like I was just trying to find all the silver linings I could because I was mm -hmm. terrified, you know, okay. so. Yeah. Um, and, you know, Sebastian also loved the immunosuppressed ward because there was this big room where he could play video games. He never got to do that at home. And his <laughs> dad and he would play video games together in, in this room. And there were a lot of celebrities that came through because that's the, this is the scary ward where all the kids are kind of like on death's door sometimes, you know, these are the leukemia kids and stuff. Oh, so are you saying like Make-A-Wish uh, Foundation will bring celebrities in that kids want to meet? Yeah, things like that. I mean, but uh -huh. there are just in general, there's celebrities that come through to, you know, they come through the children's hospital to to meet the kids. And so there were a lot of interesting things that happened. And he, he loved it. His actual treatment began on Halloween. <laughs> so so he had to have a costume to wear for the party at the immunosuppressed ward because <laughs> they were playing bingo, for example, that night. I had to help him because... Um, if he won something, I had to run down to a few floors below and get the prize and bring it back up again. And he was, they were doing bingo on a TV screen. And right. so, so each child was, in their room. 
Yeah, he loved it. He thought it was great fun. And and every morning, a nurse would come around and ask him what he wanted to eat. And they had menus, and he could pick the food he wanted that day. It was just wow. Like, this, this place sounds amazing. I know he was having a lot of fun there. But you know, of course, the ATG made him very very sick. And back to that bit of the story, he really he felt terrible. And Lars and I were switching off, so I would go down for a day or two, and then Lars would come down for a day or two, and I'd go back up. And our daughter was staying at friend's home. We were an hour away. Oakland is an hour away from Santa Rosa. And um, one night, nurses came around. It was getting really late. It was almost 10 o'clock. And they were like, no, one of you needs to go. Mm-hmm. And uh, Sebastian didn't want me to leave. And it was the first time where there was this feeling of like, no, I, I really want you to stay, Mom. And Lars had already come, and I, I had to go. And um, I was going to stay with my sister in San Francisco who had just had a baby, but I knew I was also late and I didn't want to call her. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so um, that was sort of like the tipping point for me because up to that point, it had already been a few weeks since this had started. And up to that point, I'd been holding it together. And uh-huh. I just got into my car and I drove across the Bay Bridge to go to San Francisco and I just fell apart and I started sobbing while I was driving. Uh, I was just overwhelmed. Oh completely. Goodness. And are you, can you just, you saying, when you say it was the tipping point, was it because Sebastian wanted you to stay with him that you felt that way? I think it was, it was just like this um, feeling like I couldn't, I couldn't change this and I couldn't fix this and I couldn't, you know, and I'm trying to stay strong for him. Right. And, um, and for everybody. And, and anyway, just his wanting me to stay and my having to leave. But what, you couldn't just change it and have your husband leave and you stay? No, I think he really wanted to be there, and it just didn't feel like the right thing. I just felt totally bewildered. This broke into tears, and I started hitting my steering wheel and screaming, "This isn't fair!" You know, just had so you my, my meltdown. I was really, you know, he'd already had a lot of things in his life that had been difficult for him, and I just felt like this wasn't fair. You know, that was hard. So I didn't know where I was going. I was stuck. I was on the Bay Bridge going to San Francisco, and I didn't, I didn't know where I was going because I, I didn't want to call my were- sister. I didn't want to call her, and I think she was already in bed. And so she just had a baby, and I thought, I've got to come up with an alternate plan, but I don't know what to do. Mm -hmm. And at that moment, two very good friends of mine in San Francisco, who would have never called me that late at 1030 at night, called my phone. And they said, how are you doing? And I told them what was happening. I said, I'm on the Bay Bridge. I don't even know where I'm going. And they said, we're going to stay on the phone with you and tell you how to get to our house. They lived in San Francisco. That's a blessing. Yeah, that was a huge blessing. That was like I felt rescued. And so I went to their house, and they sat me down in their living room, set up a bed for me, and I talked to them for more hours, sobbing while I was talking about the situation. And then they basically put me to bed, and then I was, you know, it was okay. Oh, how wonderful. Um, Yeah, so I felt really supported there. But that there were a lot of people that came out of the woodwork to support us uh, when we went through this. It was a long haul. Sebastian had to take these immunosuppressive drugs for nine months before everything kind of recovered. And in the meantime, every month we were were coming down for blood transfusions to the hospital and we had to keep him safe. Okay. The first real silver lining happened around Christmas time. We got the word that the treatment was working. And so so Christmas time was how long since it had all started? It started in early October. And I think it was October 11th or something like that, that this whole thing began. So this is like three months later. Yeah. 
And so we were actually having an early Christmas party about on the 22nd or 23rd of December with my sister. And my husband and I said, oh, we've got to call the doctors to check in and ask them what the stats were. What was the blood work? And um, they were waiting to see the earliest form of blood cells are called reticulocytes. And they were waiting to see if reticulocytes would show up. And then they knew that the stem cells would be regrowing and producing again. So you mean this is a, a treatment in which somehow they're able to make these stem cells begin to function again? Yeah, because they're keeping the immune system from killing the stem cells. Okay. So if you had a virus that marked your stem, you know, went into your bloodstream and, and ended up in your bone marrow and marked your stem cells for production of that virus, then if you had a hyper-vigilant immune, immune system, it would go after those cells, not, not recognizing right. that they are your own body, maybe, you know? So in order to keep that from happening, this medication, cyclosporin, prevents the T cells from functioning. So then the stem cells can regrow. So that was, a, that was the and idea when they, behind it. And then when they regrow, they're not marked by whatever it was that was provoking the reaction? Well, if it works, I guess that's, that's kind of the expectation. So, right. you know, yeah. maybe there are other things involved in healing because it doesn't always work. So they had to wait and see if this was going to work. And right. the only last option is then a bone marrow transplant from an unrelated donor. Right. So before cyclosporin was used for this purpose, mm -hmm. they didn't have any way to treat aplastic anemia. You know, if you didn't have a bone marrow transplant, you were going to die. Wow. So, uh, you know, this had only been around for 15 or 20 years. But as I said, it's, it's a very rare condition. Right. There's two, two ways you can actually, can also be, it can also be created by the situation I mean, in your bone marrow can be wiped out by toxic chemicals too. There are, there are people that actually have exposure to benzene, for example. High quantities of benzene can cause, according to what I read, can cause aplastic anemia as well. But in those cases, I'm not sure the recovery actually happens because it, you know the toxin has wiped out the stem cells altogether. Right, there's nothing Maybe. left to regrow from. Right, right. So, you know, I'm sure that since this all happened with us, there's probably been more research. I haven't really kept up with it. Yeah, it took Sebastian another, you know, till August the following year before he was really in the clear and his blood system was back up to, you know, normal levels. So about a so, year almost. Yeah, it took almost oh. a year. Yeah. There were so many silver linings that happened. I mean, we got a lot of, we had a lot of support. We moved into our co-housing community and everybody was so wonderful. And Sebastian had a private tutor that we hired for his dyslexia. And she actually made house calls to us, which was amazing. There were so many people that just came out to help us. Out. It was amazing, really incredible. And I then I didn't. That, that is ahead. one of the wonderful things about the human race, isn't it? It is. Yeah, it people is. really step up when there's a crisis or a catastrophe. I mean, think about all the times when, you know, there's weather events or uh, earthquakes or things that happen and people just rush there to help. Yeah, these things are terrifying for a parent. But when you get into it and you find out that um, you're just one of so many people who are going through these experiences and so many people go through this, you know, their kids mm -hmm. are sick for long periods sometimes, or they die. It just, it's, it, I felt like it connected me in a lot of ways mm. to the human race too, you know, Absolutely. Uh, to, f to feel like I'm, I'm not the only one that's been there and 
we'll go there. And yeah, it was, it was really a powerful experience all the way around. It was very powerful for our whole family to go through this experience. When Sebastian recovered, actually, and went off his medication, he was turning 12. So we had a birthday party for him, a surprise party with 100 people. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> and we lived in a co-housing community. So that was possible because we had the space for it. But that was a really, really wonderful party celebrating that he recovered and he was healthy again. And um, I didn't put it together until later, after this whole thing was done, I realized that, first of all, the doctor was the woman who told me that everything was going to be okay. <laughs> she was the woman in my dream. Really? She was the same woman? She's the same woman. She had red curly hair and green eyes. It was such a shock to me when I figured it out, but it wasn't until I was in such a state for that whole nine months or a year that we had to deal with this. Wow. But I realized that the swimming pools were a symbol for his bone marrow. Oh, okay. Explain that. I mean, basically, his bone marrow was empty. It didn't have... Okay. So yeah. swimming pool, empty swimming pools were his bone marrow. Right. I really was in sort of shock mode the whole time. So I couldn't really even think about that. But no. when when the crisis was over, then it all came back to me. And I said, oh, my God, that's incredible. And so it's a question. Did you tell the doctor that you'd seen her in a dream seven years earlier? No, 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 no. Because, in fact, I didn't think about it when I was seeing her. But we had to go back for checkups. But we often had another doctor. So I didn't see her that often. Um, but it didn't. it just didn't occur to me. I think it was literally a year or two afterwards that I remembered the dream. Wow. <laughs> in the meantime, while Sebastian was still in the hospital having treatment, Make-A-Wish offered him a wish. We were put in touch with Make-A-Wish, and, and they're a wonderful organization, of course. And they uh, they asked Sebastian what, what he wanted to do or what he wanted to have. And he really wanted to go to Hawaii, and he had like a series of things he wanted to do there. He wanted to fly over volcanoes in a helicopter. Wow. Um, he wanted to swim with dolphins. Um, he wanted to go snorkeling. So we had like this whole list of things and they, they provided all of it. So they sent all of us to Hawaii. The trip there on the flight, we had this very unusual couple that sat with us. We were sitting in a plane that had three seats across on each side. And so all four of us couldn't sit together. But I was sitting in the front set of seats with this couple. Uh -huh. And my kids were sitting with their dad behind me. And my daughter was not happy with this arrangement. She really wanted to sit with me. <laughs> so she was making a bit of a fuss uh, quietly. <laughs> and the woman who was sitting next to me, she turned to me and she said, oh, well, you know, I can switch seats with your daughter. She can sit next to you. So she went and sat between my husband and my son. And my daughter came and sat next to me and the husband of this woman. And that was a really interesting thing because it was a five-hour flight and... That woman was really, really interesting. She was probably in her early 70s or mid-70s. She was very fit, had short hair. She was wearing like a track suit. And um, she was very talkative. You know, we had wonderful conversations. And actually, a lot of the things she said made me feel like this woman has a lot in common with me. She had had children. And her husband was a dentist. And at the time, I'd been working for a dentist, and my daughter was terrified of dentists, so she had this conversation with this man. And then he fell asleep. He promptly fell asleep and then slept the whole way. But this woman was sitting next to my son and my husband. At some point, she grabbed the book out of my husband's hands. He was reading a science fiction book. And she said, what is this book? Tell me about it. 
And she said she hadn't even heard of science fiction before. And he explained the value of reading it uh, to un understand new s potential societies and you know, ideas for the future. And, and she said, you know, you could write books like this. Has he and written books like this? No, no, no. But, you know, was, why not? You know, so then she grabbed the baseball hat off my son's head and handed it to a passing stewardess and said, have the pilot autograph this. <laughs> she was gumption. just, yeah, she really had a lot of gumption. And um, she took so much interest in my son. So she asked him a lot of questions about his life. And she always had this playful twinkle in her eye, a merry expression. And she was really a character. And then as we were getting to leave the plane after it landed in Hawaii, she unzipped her jacket and there was this beautiful giant pendant that represented all the world's religions, or, or anyway, the main religions. There was a sickle for the Muslim tradition. There was a cross for the Christian tradition. There was an Om sign for San in Sanskrit, you know, for the Hindu tradition, and the wheel for Buddhism. And they were all in this big pendant. It was probably about six inches across oh in silver. Oh my goodness, that's huge. Yeah, yeah, underneath her, her tracksuit jacket. <laughs> and I thought to myself, I thought, oh, okay, no, that's that's a little odd. What's that, you know? When we were standing later, after we said our goodbyes, we were standing at the uh, the car rental place, and I just had this hit, like, oh, my God, that was not just anybody. I'm pretty sure that was my trait. <laughs> really, it was just, like, hit me. So basically, uh, I finally wrote into Share International and my letter was only just printed recently. Right, November of 2022. Yes, that's right. Last um, year. Yeah. But basically, Ben's master said that it was, in fact, Maitreya. How wonderful. Yeah, so blessed. Just feel so, so blessed when I think about all the things that happened in that time and how we got through it. And now my son is 30. My goodness. <laughs> you know? Wow. Yeah, so, so just so grateful. So totally grateful that... Um, but that all what an worked out, story. Yeah. So I'm really happy to share it finally and talk about all these different, you know, aspects of it. Well, it's got a lot of different aspects. And, and it's interesting that you had that dream, you know, when he was four. Yeah. And it was connected to your premonition. And then later, this woman in the dream really was his doctor. Right. That's amazing. Yeah, it is really amazing when I think about it. It's like, I, I don't know why, I could, how can we have any doubt? You know what I mean? When we when we have these kinds of experiences, they're so powerful and so um, galvanizing, you know, that we can understand that there's so much more going on that meets the eye in life. Yeah, and that, and that we're really taken care of, that there's yeah this level of, I don't know what, well, care and compassion, help. Yeah. Right, yeah. Thank you so much, Sabina, for making it possible for me to share this story. I really appreciate it so oh, much. You're, you're really such a good welcome. interviewer. <laughs> well, so it's, just, it's, it's wonderful to listen to. You know, It's fascinating. You've been listening to Mystic Takeaway. If you've enjoyed today's episode, please consider subscribing and sharing it with others. Thanks for listening. Mm -hmm.